Let go. All right, please turn your Bibles this morning to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And I know some of you are surprised this morning because I've been busy doing a series about First Peter, but we're taking a break of that this morning. Because I know that many people are looking forward to celebrating Christmas next week. I think that's the big thing going on right now. And I thought that it would be good for us, um, even before that, to take a look at the main reason why we are actually celebrating this holiday in this time of year. Well, maybe not this time of year, as we know that we know that Jesus wasn't born on the 25th of December. I think everybody is fine with that, and we know that it's not a big shock. Um, but this is still the time set apart, I want to say, on the calendar to celebrate that. Now, I realize that not everybody celebrates this holiday, all right? And that's really okay. That's not something that we need to fight about, really. You know, Paul even said in Romans chapter 14, verse 5, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteem every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. And I believe that that is the key when it comes to issues like this. Um, you know, let every man be fully persuaded in his mind. Uh, when, it, when it comes to things like this, something that's not necessarily sin or forbidden in Scripture, uh, believers should make up their own mind about it. And that's okay, whether you go for it or against it. And as long as your conscience is clear about it. That's, that's the main thing there. But I think that it is fair to say that most believers are gearing up to, to celebrate Christmas with those people that are close to them. And for many, it's a time of rest where they don't have to go to work for a little bit. Praise God for that, all right? <laughs> I'm, I'm happy about that. Some pack up, they go on holiday. Some of us will celebrate it by ourselves. And then some, like I said, will not celebrate it at all. But whatever is going on during Christmas time, you know, if you want to put that label to it, whether you are going to celebrate it or not, I think that we can all agree that the miracle of Jesus coming to earth to save us is something that we can all be thankful for today. And I think that is arguably one of the biggest miracles that God ever did. You know, when people think about miracles, they normally think about things like physical healing, you know, like a, a leper getting healed that we read about that Jesus did, or somebody that's lame, they can walk again, or maybe God keeping a man alive in the belly of a fish for three days, what a miracle that is, um, or things like that. You know, that, that's kind of what we think about when we think about miracles, and those are miracles, of course, but I believe they pale in comparison to the miracle of God coming to earth in human form and living among us, just like one of us. And so today, we'll start here in John chapter 1, and we will focus our attention uh, on this wonderful miracle that God performed around about 2,000 years ago. And, uh, you know, I believe it's a miracle that changed the world forever. But before we do that, let's just bow our heads and we can pray. Father, we thank you for being with us today. We thank you, Lord, for for gathering us today, Lord. We know we're not a whole lot of people in this building, but Lord, you're the one filling this building, and, and, and that's why we're here today. We want to praise your name. We want to pray to you. Lord, we want to hear your word being preached. And so I ask that you will please help me today in the preaching, Lord, but work in every one of our hearts today. 
Show us what you need us to do about this, Lord. We thank you for all that you do, and we thank you that we can um, stand still a bit and, and look back at what you've done already. Amen. Amen. Now, when we think about the birth of Jesus, I think we think about that familiar story, you know, that, that always comes to mind, um, that we find in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. And if you've not read that before, please go ahead and, and read this. Um, if you're celebrating Christmas, maybe go read it. If you're not celebrating, read it anyway, because I think it's a wonderful story. It, it describes all the events that happened around that time when Jesus was born. We think about the angel visiting Mary and telling her that she will bear a child and how shocked she, w she was. We think about Joseph that was worried because Mary was supposed to be a virgin and now she's pregnant. <laughs> you can just imagine what went through that man's mind. And then, then we know that the angel came and paid him a visit as well to tell him, calm down, Joseph. <laughs> this child was conceived by the Holy Ghost. Definitely something strange. It's never happened before and it never will again. Then we think about Mary and Joseph that had to go to, uh, to Bethlehem because of that, uh, the, taxing that, uh, or the taxing decree that Caesar Augustus um, proclaimed in that time. So everybody had to go to their own home cities uh, for the tax. I'm not entirely sure how that worked, but I think that must have been quite an ordeal, don't you think? You know, Mary was very pregnant <laughs> at that point, just about ready to give birth, and now she needs to ride on this donkey. Um, I think they had to stop every five minutes, you know, to take a pit stop and just go to the bathroom or whatever, you know, that it must have been crazy. But then, of course, we remember that they couldn't find a place to stay because the, all of their accommodation was fully booked. It, it was full. The only place that they could find was in a stable, a stinky old stable. And that is where Jesus was born, a dirty, stinky stable. Mary laid him down there in a manger. If you don't know what a manger is, it, it always sounds so romantic. It's a feeding trough for animals. That's what it is. And we remember the wise men. They came from the east and they came to worship him and to bring him gifts. And we rem remember the shepherds that heard from the angel. What a sight that must have been. And to hear the angels sing together. But that they heard from them that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And they rushed over there to go and see him. I would as well, you know, <laughs> that must have been amazing to do. And I think that that makes up most of the story that we think about, you know, when we think about the events. So obviously there are some details and so on, but that's mostly what we think about when we think about what happened during the birth of Jesus. And as wonderful as those events were, and they really were wonderful, I think there's a lot more to this story. Um, and John actually helps us to fill in the theological significance. He, he, he colors in this picture a little bit more for us here in John chapter 1. And he gives us the answer to this question. Who is that child lying in the manger? So let's read John chapter 1 and verse 1. And we'll find that out. He says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was, God, was with God, and the Word was God. I'd like us to break this verse down a bit, starting there with the first part. In the beginning was the Word. So the question is, what is this beginning that John is talking about here? So please get ready for this. This is going to get deep. It is 
the beginning. <laughs> All right? That's it. It's the start of everything. It, 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 it goes all the way back to the first verse that we find in the book of Genesis that, that reads, you probably know this verse, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. That was the beginning. That's the same beginning that John is talking about here. And that is where everything started, right there at that moment. And John says that right there, the word already existed. Now, we can't go further back than the beginning. I, I hope you can understand that, because before that, well, there was no beginning. <laughs> it started at the beginning. Time only started there, at that beginning. But that very moment that time started, that instant, the Word was already there. He didn't come into existence at the beginning. He already existed before that, if that even makes sense. And I don't think it does because when we talk about things like before and after, we are referring to different points in time. But we can't do that here because, well, time started at the beginning, right? So there was no before the beginning. There's no such thing. And if your head is spinning right now with that thought, well, you're not alone. Don't worry about it, <laughs> okay? The Word didn't start anywhere. He exists eternally. And I don't think that that is something to understand necessarily. I, I think that's something we need to accept by faith because as human beings, we are stuck in time. We can't, that, that's our reference point. We can't think about how it must be without time. Um, it, 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 it breaks our minds, <laughs> you know. But at the beginning, when the heaven and the earth was made, the Word was already there. And He was there from all eternity, before the beginning, if you will, <laughs> all right, just to have it make sense in our minds. Next up, John says, so he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And I think the best way to understand this is that the Word was there with God the Father. He was there face to face with Him. The Word wasn't any more or less important than God the Father. They were equal. They, they also enjoyed perfect fellowship with each other throughout all of eternity. And that's why John says the Word was with God. He talks about that intimate fellowship that they had. And now even more than that, John continues and he says, And the Word was God. He didn't become God at any point. He always was God and He always will be God. It's not, not like He was somehow some lesser being and then He graduated to become God. All right? I know that sounds silly, but I've heard teachings like that in the past. As a matter of fact, um, I, I, I think that's actually somewhat similar to what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. But they actually changed this verse here in John chapter 1, verse 1. They add a single letter. <laughs> In, in their Bible, it reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. You see that? You see that change? You see the change that a single letter can make? If you say that He's a God, that's, of course, a false teaching. There is only one God. There's not another God. The Word was, and He is, God. He's nothing less than God, and, and, and that is the way that He has always existed. Always. 
And Jesus repeated this fact quite a few times during his ministry. And as a matter of fact, in, in John chapter 10, verse 30, he explicitly told the Jews there, I and the Father are one. <laughs> They're equal. You can't separate them. They are one. And that's the way that they've always been. It didn't suddenly happen at some point. So when John introduces us here to the Word, he says that back when everything was created, the Word already existed eternally, in perfect fellowship with God as His equal. Oh, and by the way, the Word is God. And then in verse 2, he basically repeats the sentiment again. He says, the same was in the beginning with God. So he really wants us to get this, because it's so important. It is so important to know who He is. The Word was not more God or less God than the Father. He is God. And I've said that multiple times now because it's so important. He has always and He will always exist as God. It's never going to end. He was not a created being like the rest of us. And I think that's the point, or part of the point at least, that, that John is trying to get across there in verse 3. Look at verse 3, he says, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. I think this just follows naturally from this first two verses. Because if the Word is God, well then obviously He is the Creator as well. Because we know that whoever made everything is God. That we know. And I've, I've always loved how John wrote this verse here uh, in John chapter 1, verse 3. It's as if he doesn't want to allow any doubt to creep into your mind of who this word is and that he is the creator. You know, he first issues a positive statement there at the beginning of verse 3. He says, all things were made by him. So that is all things in heaven and in earth, including heaven and earth. We read in Colossians 1 verse 16, where Paul talks about Jesus, and he says there, I'm just going to read it to you, For by Him, that's Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. I find that to be an amazing statement, you know. Absolutely everything that there is was created by Him, and all of it was created for Him. Paul continues in Colossians 1 verse 17 where he says, and he, still talking about Jesus, He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. He is the most important of everything, of all things, the most important. And I think that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if He is the Creator, then obviously He is more important than the creation. I think that, that makes sense. And, and Paul says there that, that Jesus, or the Word, keeps everything together, you know? He says there, by Him all things consist. So He is the one that, that makes sure that everything keeps on working the way that it should. He makes sure that up stays up and down stays down, <laughs> all right? He makes sure that the sun comes up every morning and the, that the moon goes around the, the earth and all of that. I mean, can you just imagine if something as simple as up and down were reversed tomorrow morning when you wake up? 
I know it sometimes feels that way, you know, I, well, at least for me. Um, <laughs> but that would be chaos. That's why Paul says, by him, all things consist. And then John issues a negative statement after the positive, um, and I think it complements the positive one, of course. He says there, and without him was not anything made that was made. So if you had any doubt in your mind of who created everything at this point, I think that should clear it up. Um, anything that was made was made by him. Anything, everything. And so these heretics that teach that, well, Jesus was the first created being and then he went on to create the rest of everything, you know, they have a problem with this verse specifically. They will need to ignore what John said here because, well, if Jesus was created, well, then he's part of that anything that was made, but something can't make itself. That doesn't make sense. I know there are people that teach that, and I, I realize that, that at some universities it's being taught, but something can't make itself. I think that's obvious. I think a child can understand that. And so John makes it clear here that there was not a single thing that was made that the Word didn't make. I think it's such a simple statement, but it's such an important truth to get a hold of so important. And then John says, uh, let your eyes go down to verse 14. He says there, and the Word was made flesh. That's how we know it's Jesus that he's talking about. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, John says, God came down to man and he lived here among us as a man and we saw him. We saw his glory. And so, I think if we want to have a proper appreciation of the events that are celebrated during Christmas time, we need to have a proper understanding of who that baby in the manger was. Whether you celebrate it or not, whether you celebrate Christmas or not, that doesn't matter. We need to know who was that baby in the manger. And that's why John starts off his gospel this way. You know, he says in John 20, you know, let's turn there. Let's go to John 20 for a moment. You can leave John 1. You don't need to keep your place there. We're done with that. John 20. While you're turning, gives me a short moment to take, a, take some petrol. John 20, verse 30. He says there, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples. He, he, he's sort of ending off this book now. So he's saying he did a lot of other things that we couldn't write about here, which are not written in this book. Then verse 31, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing he might have life through his name. That's the point. John wanted to introduce us to Jesus in such a way that we understand who He is so that we can believe in Him and so that we can be saved by Him because that's how we are saved, of course. So then who was that child in that, in that manger that day? Well, it was the eternal, all-powerful creator of heaven and earth Himself in human form. God 
in the flesh. You know, Paul calls that the mystery of godliness in 1 Timothy 3 verse 16, that God was manifest in the flesh. And this wonderful God, wonderful God, He, he stooped down to become like one of us. And Paul gives us a great explanation of what it took of him to do that. So please turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And Paul is going to give us a picture of how much the Lord had to humble himself to become a man. Philippians 2 verse 5. He says there, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So Paul starts this section off, similar to what John did, by affirming, well, that Jesus is God. He is God, and He always was God. And even though He had all the rights, all the privileges, all the honors that goes along with being God Himself, His attitude was that he was not going to hold on to those things um, while he was here on earth or to his position as God. But just for a little while, he willingly gave those things up or rather he, he set them aside for just a little while. You know, Paul says there in verse 6, who being in the form of God, now just to expand on that a little bit, when he says the form of God, he's talking about the, the very essence of what it means to be God like I've already emphasized before, He is God, <laughs> completely God. There's, there's no doubt about that. He was in the form of God, and He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That just means that He didn't, um, didn't have to cling on to that. He willingly set that apart for a moment. He didn't cling to His privileges. Instead, He stooped down. He humbled Himself. You see, it's already humiliating for God to change in any way. Because He's perfect. There's nothing to change. And He is the highest. He's the Almighty. And, and whatever change He would have to make would require Him to stoop down. He didn't cling on to His power and majesty. Instead, He humbled Himself and He became just like one of His own creations. Did you get that? The infinite, holy, almighty creator of heaven and earth and everything that is in it, he became just like one of his own creations. It's amazing. (laughs) Now just to be clear here, when he did that, he never stopped being God, not for a moment. Not for a moment. Instead, he willingly set aside all of those privileges, like I said, of being God just for a little while. And he added something. He took on human nature on himself. Look at verse 7. He said, But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Folks, there's so much to say about this. But when we think about a king being born, you know, we would, we would expect that there would be a lot of pomp and circumstance, you know, around that, you know, everybody would be talking about that, everyone, you you know, you would see it on the cover of every magazine, you would hear about it on the news and on the radio, and everybody would be talking about it on social media and so on, 
But that wasn't the case when Jesus was born, at all. Almost nobody knew about him. Interesting. He wasn't born in a palace. Instead, he was born in a stinky stable. His mother didn't put him down in a golden cot, and I think that would have been fitting, but she didn't. He, he was laid down in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. His earthly father was just a carpenter, just an ordinary man. He wasn't rich at all. Nobody knew who they were. They were just some people <laughs> living in Israel, you know. He grew up just like any other boy did in Israel in that time, and it, it, it all went unnoticed by most people. He became just like one of us, just another ordinary man. Paul says that he, he took upon him the form of a servant. Now, once again, like I explained with um, being, um, being in the form of God, he took on the very essence of what it meant to be a servant. All of it. He became a servant. So he existed like that here on earth. He, he did not just look like a servant, all right? He didn't just put on a costume. <laughs> he became a servant. And he did it all by himself. Nobody forced him to do so. He did it willingly. This was a willing act from his side to humble himself so much because he had a very specific mission in mind. And we'll get to that shortly. But lastly here, Paul says that he was made, in verse 7, was made in the likeness of men. So he took on him everything that it meant to be a human being. He was born of a woman, just like every single person in this room. And if you were to look at him, I don't think he would have looked twice. Just looked like anybody else. Didn't look like the pictures that you see of Jesus through the ages, you know, with a glowing head. <laughs> It just looked like you and me. Um, as a baby, he needed his mom to care for him. He needed, he needed his mom to feed him, to change his clothes, to bathe him, to clip his nails, all of, all of those things. He needed to go through the entire human experience. He, he needed the, uh, the attention and care that any child needs at that age. And then he developed physically, and he, and he grew up just like any other child. He got tired. He got thirsty, he got hungry, he laughed, he could feel pain and sadness. He needed other people to help him with things. Can you imagine that? God needing help. He needed that. He went through everything that we go through, except that he never did any sin. Now, the Bible does tell us in the book of Hebrews that he was tempted, just like you and I are tempted to sin, but he never sinned. And so he humbled himself in every way, in every way, by becoming a man. Look at verse 8. He said there, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So not only did Jesus humble himself by stepping down and becoming a man and living under the conditions that he did, he went even further by being obedient unto death. He was willing to humble himself even to the point of dying like a criminal, even though he was innocent. It was, wow, <laughs> I love the birds. <laughs> he, 
he humbled himself to that very point, even though he was innocent, you know. It was the Father's will that Jesus should die in that way that he did, and Jesus was obedient to the Father throughout all of his life, even to that point where he had to die. You will remember the night before, before he was crucified, he prayed and said, Father, if it's at all possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, let thine be done. He humbled himself. And not only by dying, Paul says here, even by dying on a cross. Now, why is that an important distinction to make? I mean, what, why couldn't Paul just say, he became obedient unto death and be finished with that sentence. Not, why did he say even the death of the cross? Because there were many other ways that Jesus could have been executed. I mean, he could have been beheaded, just like John the Baptist was. He could have been stoned to death, just like the Jews tried to do many times. Um, he could have been hanged. He could have been stabbed. He, whatever, you know. There were so many different ways in which he could have been executed. But instead, he was crucified. Why is that important? Well, you see, crucifixion was designed to be the most cruel, painful, and shameful way to die. It was the type of execution that was reserved for the worst of the worst, the enemies of the state, that type of, type of guys. It was a very public thing that happened, and it was supposed to, to humiliate you along with the excruciating pain that you went through up to the point of death. And so I think you can see how, how this death on a cross completely, I want to say rounded off in air quotes, the, 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 the humiliation of Jesus. It, 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 I almost want to say the cherry on top, but yeah, you get what I'm saying. He humbled himself by not clinging to the fact that He is God, and by becoming a human being, and by living among us as a man here on earth, and then He went even further by humbling Himself to that lowest of low points, where He died on a cross, like a criminal, a terrible criminal, even though He was innocent. And He knew that. Even the guy that sent Him to be crucified knew that. And that is the answer to our question. That's the baby, the child that lay there in the manger. He is Almighty God. He is the one who was and is and is to come. He is the one who lived perfectly here on earth as a man. He's the one who died on that cross so that we can be saved. I mentioned his mission earlier. That was his mission. His mission was to come and to set us free. And of course, we know that he didn't stay in the grave. Thank God for that. Yes, he was there for two days, sure. He rose again on the third day. And he is alive today. And he's willing and he's able to save everybody that will come to him in faith. Even today. Folks, our sin is such a terrible problem, you know, that, that it could only be solved by God himself coming to earth and paying that ultimate penalty on our behalf by dying on a cross. That's how bad your sin is. I don't know if you have that appreciation for sin. I don't know if I have. But that is how bad it is. And now salvation is a free gift that's available to everyone. God is extending His hand 
and saying, please take this. He's offering it to everybody who will believe in His Son. A free gift that's extended to everybody. So I think the question now becomes, all right, what do we do with all of this information? What do we do with it? I mean, it is wonderful to know what the Lord went through, you know. It's interesting, it's touching, all of that. It's wonderful to know that and how far He went in order to finally save us, to be able to save us. But what do we do with this? Is it enough to just sit here today and ponder, you know, or think about it, meditate on it? I think we should. I think we should. We should think about these things. These are big things. But is that enough? I don't think so. I honestly don't. I think this is something that should change us. It's not just interesting facts. It should change us. For, For those of us here today that are not saved, Please make sure you are. I don't know if you are or not. I can't, I can't see in your hearts, but God can. You can. That's the two persons that can. Are you saved? If you're not, I think you should look into this some more. I honestly do. And, and, you know, we had a sermon about the resurrection a few weeks ago. I think you should look into the resurrection as well. Um, do, do your own investigation there. Because if this is the truth, and it is, then you really have no excuse. None at all. You've heard the gospel today. You know, Almighty God became flesh. And He died on the cross so that you can be saved. And so I would encourage you, I would beg you, (laughs) to run to Him and to find salvation there by Him because He will give it. He will. He said, everybody that will call on His name, He will save. But now for those of us here today, and I I know many of us are, that are saved, I think there's a proper application that we can also draw from this. And for that, we'll turn to our last piece today. That's 1 John chapter 1. Please turn to 1 John chapter 1. And we'll find our application for this. I think at this point you can probably guess. But I think it's good to see. It's good to see. First John chapter 1. We're going to get verse 1. Okay, looks like everybody's got it. First John chapter 1, he says, That which was from the beginning. That looks, in, that looks familiar, doesn't it? Like John 1. Okay, in the beginning was the word. Now he starts off by saying, That which was from the beginning. I think this is some 60 years after the events that, that happened, you know, when, when Jesus was crucified and so on. But he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And, and truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. I love this introduction from First John. Um, you know, he makes it clear that 
these apostles were simply testifying the things that they've seen and heard. They're just telling everybody about that, which is, of course, the things about the Lord. They walked with Him. They talked with Him. They, like I said, we, we saw Him. We handled Him. We heard Him. We, we touched Him. It's just telling everybody about that. They got to know Him, and now they are declaring Him to everybody that will listen. <laughs> everybody with an ear. And I think this is a fitting application um, of the message of Jesus coming in the flesh. If you have been saved by Him, then of course you've met Him as well, haven't you? Of course you did. How else were you, were you saved? You've met Him. And He changed you, didn't He? Of course He did. I know that, not, not because I know everything about you, but because of what the Bible teaches me. Is it, it says it, He gives us a new nature. So obviously He's changed you. You're not the same person you've been before you were saved. He's changed your life in so many different ways. And not only did He give you a new nature, but He also placed His Spirit right there inside of you. And He's with you every moment. Every moment. Every step of the way. Always there, ready to guide you. Ready to lead you. You're never, never alone. And so I think if, if we've met Him, if we're hearing from Him, if He's speaking to us, I think the obvious thing to, to, to do about it is to tell everybody, to declare Him to everyone like John said, yeah, they were doing. But perhaps that is something we can all do during this time. You know, whether we are gathering with family or friends, whether we, we're um, celebrating Christmas or not, doesn't matter. But right now, it's, it's on the mind of everybody. Most people know Christmas is, has something to do with Jesus or, or a baby in a manger. They at least know that. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time that we can tell them about who that baby is. Who is that child in the manger? Now, whatever we will be doing, you know, we can t tell people about him, and maybe we can use an opportunity. You know, if you're if you're gathering for a Christmas lunch or dinner, whatever, maybe that's an opportunity to tell your friends and family about him. Even if they're saved, why not? Let's talk about him. We can't keep it to ourselves, folks. We can't do that. <laughs> if we say we know him. And if we say we believe in Him, and if we say we believe what He says, how can we keep quiet? How? Let's pray. Father, it's so wonderful to be able to get to know You through Your Son. Lord Jesus, and, and, and it's so wonderful that you, what, what you did for us and what you went through, I don't think we can properly understand that or, or, or really get a hold of that. At least I can't. It, it, it's too big for me. It really is. But Lord, you, you've, you've done it and you've made all the sacrifices. You've, you've done more than enough and you've proved your love towards us by dying for us on that cross. 
we thank you that we can know we're not praying to some dead man or believing in some dead man you rose again from the dead you're alive you were there at the beginning you made everything you humbled yourself you died and you rose again and we thank you for that Lord we thank you that we can know that for those that didn't know that Lord that they could hear it today Father, I ask that you will please work in every person's heart in this room today. Please, Lord, keep on pricking our hearts. Those that are not saved, Lord, let them run to you. Let them investigate, Lord. Let them go and look for you because you say, you said that, that if we search, we will find you. And I believe that with my whole heart, Lord. You found me. <laughs> Father, I... I I want to ask that you will please help us, give us grace, give us strength, and help us, Lord, to, to declare you unto the nations, starting at home or in our group of friends or whatever. Keep on reminding us, help, help us um, not to suppress our consciences and to to go out and preach the gospel to everybody who will listen we thank you Lord that, that your grace is so freely bestowed upon us and um, we thank you for being with us today we ask that you will please be with us throughout this entire day just keep on working on us Lord thank you for all that you do Lord Amen Amen thank you <laughs>